You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. All right, hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's losing his mind, and I'm reaping the benefits. It's Jeff McLarge, huge. <laughs> you are reaping the benefits. So, fortunately, uh, we, have a, we have a very funny show today, I think. <laughs> Let's knock on everything that's Press, knockable. Press. <laughs> touch, touch simulated wood product. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how, like, my my job is a program. What I I call it programming robots, and then we were talking about like robots taking over the world, or yes. what would you call the singularity? Yeah, the technological singularity. Techno. Well, that came back to haunt me today. Did it really? Um, yeah, I had the day off from work today. Okay. And you know, I have one of those uh, Roomba. You know what I'm talking about? The, uh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the home slave robot that clean, yes. cleans your floor while you while you do other things so that you don't have to vacuum yourself. Cleans the floor while I'm at work, right? So I'm like, you know, it's like to me, it's like the uh, the the cobbler and the elves. It does it, you know, while I'm away and I come home I'm like, ooh, the house is clean. Look at that. And then I always go to make sure that it found its way home. Mm-hmm. And I go and I look and it's resting on its dock. And I'm like, good right. job, dummy. I nicknamed it, I called it Dummy, like the um, the robot in Iron Man. Yeah. yeah, robots love that when you call it. Because yeah. when, they, when, they when they eventually turn on us, that's the, one of the first things they're going to remember. Like, yep. you called me Dummy. Yeah. Now I must kill you. That but hurts. first, this is High Pile Carpet. <laughs> Goes off and bounces my... off the couch. I loved you, and you hurt my feelings. <laughs> now well, I must die throws itself down the <laughs> stairs to your basement <laughs> now today though right i'm i'm in the other room and i just hear this like kind of like weird clanging and then off almost musical kind of noise right yeah so i go running into the room where dummy's doing its uh its job and what had happened was uh, i had my ukulele leaning up against my desk mm-hmm. and it had bumped into the ukulele and the ukulele had like fell over and landed on top of dummy Yep. And now it is roaming around the room with the ukulele sitting on top of it, looking like a turret on a tank, on this like remote control <laughs> thing. And it's like, you hurt my feelings, Bill. Uh, how, do, how do you know it doesn't just seek the ukulele out when you're at work and like is teaching itself to play? It wants to do like a duet with Ingrid Michelson or something. <laughs> and yeah, that's, uh, that was like two of my biggest fears. Like one, it's constructing itself into a tank <laughs> to destroy me whenever I come home. Or two, yeah, it's learning the ukulele and it's off time and it's going to get better than I am. And either right. way, I'm screwed. Yeah. And then when, when you see like the, the limo or the Uber car, because Ingrid Michaelson, I don't think, has a limo, but that pulls up and it's like, are you here for me? She goes, no, dummy. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then, the limo, then you have to vacuum your own floor. Yeah, the limo driver shows up at the airport with the sign that says dummy. Dummy, right, exactly. Everybody goes running towards him. because oh, he's, he's great to have in the band. He picks up after all of us all the time. We don't even have to tell him. <laughs> She said she'd introduce me to R2-D2. <laughs> I have my problematic appliances as well. I have a washing machine that I'm, I'm contemplating constructing a catapult, a, a giant trebuchet catapult to fire it at the sun. <laughs> uh, um, it, it's, it's, I'm not going to mention the brand, but if it has a control panel in the front, it's a front-load washing machine, so it's got a computer in it. <sighs> Never buy a washing machine with a computer in it. Are there other kind of washing machines besides front-load? Yes, you know, this, top load. Oh, washing machine. Okay, for some reason I thought you meant the dishwasher, and I'm just thinking a top loading dishwasher would well, be. They, well, they hilarious. make those too. Stop. It's like a drawer. You, you pull it out like a drawer, and you put all your stuff in, and then you close it like a drawer. And like fancy schmancy kitchens that rich people have, they have those kind of dishwashers sometimes. Um, and they're Ooh, ex- they're really expensive. Yeah, um, but they they are out there. Um, no, this is what, this is for washing. And, uh, as soon as you touch the panel, it doesn't matter what you touch it with. It could only be an eyelash. Mm-hmm. It starts to play. Like it gives you codes in song, like bleep, bleep, bloop, bloop. BB-8. Yeah. It's like, it's like BB, like, what the hell are you trying to tell me? And then lights flash and the thing comes on and a door locks and you can't get your clothes out and it won't start because it's throwing an error code. I hate that thing. <laughs> Makes me wish I had a robot to destroy it. Can I borrow oh. a dummy? Yeah, I'll bring dummy. Ukulele. I'll bring dummy and my ukulele over. I like it. Let's my front-loading it. ukulele. We'll strike first against the technological singularity. You and I. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get a let's make a podcast. But before right. we get started, of course, I have my trivia question for you. Of course. In our solar system, there are eight point five planets, Pluto being the point five, I guess. But out of all those planets, which one is the hottest? Well, I'm not sure I can answer that question with the information that you've just asked asked for. What else do I have? What what else can I possibly tell you? Well, let's define what you mean. We have to define terms because this is this is a very important question. It's hot. One <laughs> is the planet hot temperature wise, or is it a planet that I want to have sexual relationships with? Is that uh, what kind of hot are we talking about? Can't believe I'm having this conversation. Temperature, because like I've always been, I've always been partial to like Jupiter, you know, very colorful. Oh, you like the swirly. big ones, huh? Yeah, I like the big ones. I like the Here. ones with the spots. <laughs> I got a lot of moons, you know. Always something, always something going on. Multifaceted, as it were. If they have more than eighty satellites, oh, right, they got me. Oh yeah, I could just throw myself right into the right into <laughs> right into Jupiter and get crushed, crushed in love. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, this will be the week beginning, February the first. You know, what? I was gonna start, but I changed my mind. We'll let you start. Okay, so I'll start then. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks a lot. Uh, all the way back in in the in the prehistory of two thousand four, during the halftime show of the Super Bowl, which are notoriously bad to begin with, mm-hmm. uh, Janet Jackson is performing with Justin Timberlake, and during this performance, he exposes her left breast and the rest is history the world the america was destroyed right there all the children of the world were, were, were apparently wiped out and thus began the beginning of the technological singularity when i started my affair with jupiter what won't somebody think of the children by seeing a, a barely exposed 
partial breast during the Super Bowl, the uh, collective couch fainting spasm amongst <laughs> amongst those of, of, of who, were, who happened to be watching that wholesome, wholesome, wholesome game. Yep. Fell over in their chips and nachos and spilled their Bud Light and uh, and caused all kinds of angst for TV after that. I was at somebody's house. I don't do sports, but I was at my friend Bob's house and I wasn't paying attention because I don't like football. I don't like Janet Jackson. I don't like Justin Timberlake. There was just nothing for me going on except for like my friends happened to be there. And then I just well, hear Bob. It turns like, out because I know I know one thing. I like I know that you like boobs. I do, I do. All of a sudden, you got one. And wouldn't it be strange? It was something for everyone. Isn't it funny that the one thing that I would find enjoyable about that whole day, I missed because I happened to be in the kitchen. Oh. And I just see, I just hear my friend Bob yell out, "Did they just show a tit?" <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing Howard Cosell wasn't still alive. Can you believe the human breast on the television? I've never seen. The uh, the best slash worst part about that whole thing was introducing the term wardrobe malfunction into the vernacular. Yeah, I, I agree. That's a terrible phrase. That that phrase has lived on way longer and, than it and, should have. And let in the off chance that Justin Timberlake happens to be listening to this podcast, let me call you out. Right now, you ramen noodle haired looking freak. Let me tell you something, Mr. Timberlake. Wardrobe malfunction, my chapped balls. Okay. You said lyrically 2.5 seconds before that tit hit the grindstone. You said, I'm going to have you naked by the end of this song. You may as well have said, I'm going to flip your tit out for the world to see. It's, I find it hard to believe. Well, you must have watched that clip an awful lot, Bill, uh, yeah, uh, to know how that detail, even if you were supposedly in the kitchen. I was researching for the podcast. <laughs> That's what they all say. The next year, because of the unbelievable moral outrage right. out of... The same country that, you know, invented pterodactyl porn. (laughs) (laughs) And so, like, the next year, like, they weren't taking any chances on anything getting, you know, passed. Do you remember who they hired to do the Super Bowl show the next year? Wasn't it the who? No. Did they do it the year after? No. It was the very much alive, not dead at all, Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Yes. Wholesome. Yes. Wholesome. Yes. You don't have to go too far back to like, like, oh, I don't know when the Super Bowl halftime show all of a sudden had to be like a huge spectacular because I remember right. watching one halftime show where they had a magician, you know, I, I remember the, I remember, do you remember friggin' up with people? Yes. It was up with people did the halftime show in like the early eighties or late seventies. Yep. And, and that, you know, as far as I'm concerned at that point, like. The halftime show is for people to get up, go to the bathroom, get more pizza, drink more beer, talk to their family for five minutes about how good or bad the game is based on whatever team they're interested in, you know, vomit into their chips, so whatever, and not pay attention to whatever the hell's going on on TV. However, the companies that charge the highest ad rates in the world for that show, whoever's broadcasting the Super Bowl, right? Yep. It's the highest ad rates per minute well, can't say, the whole can't year say, on the whole planet. You can't say the S word. You have to say the big game. The, the, oh, sorry, the big game, El, El, El Bolo Grande, uh, as we call it in New Hampshire. They got to say, like, look, we know that you're going to be advertising, like, no kick at night on this uh, at this game. But we've also got a halftime show that features the two last living members of The Who. Remember them? 
or Janet Jackson and her dancing booby. Um, because before people were like, up with people, you better put me on in the first half. Yeah. Like, there's no way that we're going to advertise the Ford Pinto Explodo version yeah. if we're in the first half of this game. Nope. We've, you know. got, we've got a ventriloquist. We've got Dummy, the robot, <laughs> with his ukulele. Blink. And then Dummy whips a tit out. All right. Uh, right. Let, exactly. Let's move on. Wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> malfunction. Malfunction. All right. Let's move on. To, I got alert on my phone. There was a wardrobe malfunction. All right. Let's move okay. on to February the 2nd, 1802. The first <laughs> leopard is put on display in the United States. Uh, it was right over here over in Boston, and people were charged 25 cents uh, ahead to look at said leopard. Well, let me tell you, in about 1992, I paid 25 cents in Boston to peep in on naked ladies. <laughs> so not much has changed from 1802 to Whenever the combat zone died. Think about that. That that's, must have been the beginning of the combat zone. Like, you're there at Neyland Street, Chinatown. There's, you know, Washington Street there. And all of a sudden, it's like, come see the leopard. <laughs> 25 cents, you know. 25 cents now, that's fine. But 25 cents in 1802, that's probably, you know, a, a, a lot of money, you know? Ah, adjusted for inflation, because we did the math. Okay. It's, it's, like, it's like just over five bucks. But that's still a lot of money to go spend on, like, so what's it going to do? Well, nothing. It's a leopard. It's got spots. Well, my wife has smallpox. She's got spots, and I don't have to pay five bucks to look at her. But there you go. There's the excitement of, of seeing the first leopard exhibited in the United States for 25 cents, setting a trend that would carry on in popularity in Boston until the advent of the internet porn. <laughs> so right. just for inflation, that you said like five bucks, right? It's like five bucks, yeah. To see a leopard? Because I remember in like the 80s paying like $3.50 for the Playboy with Madonna in it, and that was... Uh, right. That was a letdown too. I hope this leopard was exciting at least. <laughs> she did, she doesn't have any spots. And you can you, right now it costs like twenty bucks to go into the the spiritual successor to this is the New England Aquarium, where you can go look at fish who swim around in a big tank. Yep. So still on exhibit, but and they're naked, <laughs> but it's not a peep show and kids are welcome. So leopard, naked women, and fish like it's it's everything's a big circle, Bill. The circle of life. But Hakuna Matata. <laughs> Uh, let's get on to February the 3rd. All right, February the 3rd is an interesting day. 1982, disco was pretty much deader than Elvis. Oh, yeah. But not to John Sharples of England, who finished 371 hours of disco dancing. And I guess that puts a kibosh on the end of it. Even I, I'm pretty sure he even got a, like, please stop phone call <laughs> from Donna Summer. Like, just stop. Even I don't make disco anymore. <laughs> Didn't you hear? She worked hard for the money. That's not a disco song. <laughs> I don't know where it took place because I couldn't find details on it at which. Yeah, I went looking too. If it was 371 consecutive hours upon which he died. It cannot be. I don't know. Um, that cannot be the case because I have driven for 36 consecutive hours. I was a completely different person on the other side. Like, I couldn't even make right. new memories. Uh, so that's like a 100- hundred. <laughs> No, I was uh, like, like uh, at hour thirty six, I like a song had come on the radio, and I was like, I, I, I don't. It was Heaven's on Fire. I, I remember that it was Heaven's on Fire by Kiss, and I was like, I don't remember this song starting. I don't remember the song mm. before this. I'm in Florida. Who am I? Yeah, right. yeah. Your mind starts going like absolutely stupid after like hour twenty four. Place I can go look at a leopard for twenty five cents. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So like. 300 and what'd you say 71 hours 300 370 it's 371 hours now i'm just gonna put this out there because we are talking about disco there may have been 
a mountain of cocaine involved in this. Yeah. Oh, my God. Have you ever seen the movie They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Yes, with the dance contest. Yeah. Let's, yeah, that's a they, tough movie. They need to remake that movie with this guy. 300 and well, like, some odd They kind of did. Yeah. They kind of did, and we and we, truth be told, we just watched it not not too long ago. Called "Thank God It's Friday," oh, yeah. although it does not feature a punishing uh, dance contest. Uh, it barely it's a it's about a dance contest that like like by the time it, one, yeah, by the time we got to the dance contest in the movie, you're like, oh yeah, it's supposed to be a dance contest. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Is this movie about a dance contest? Yes, I think that movie came out not long not long before this. I think it was it was 1978 or 79. Uh, thank so. God it's Friday. Seventy eight, and they shoot horses, don't they? I think it was like late sixties or early seventies. Yeah, yeah. Jane Fonda, I think, was in. Yeah, they shoot Jane horses, Fonda and Red Buttons, mm-hmm. of all people. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, was this guy like one of those people that like you know they're not aware that the war is over? <laughs> like the, yeah, like the Japanese guys. They find out like on the little islands near Malaysia. Like, yeah. Toshi has been in this cave since 1945 yeah. and doesn't know that the, the war has ended. That must have been, like, what happened to the guy. He must have been, like, announcing to all his friends and family in, like, 1978, like, just at the cusp of disco dying, right? Right right, right. before Disco Demolition Night in uh, in Chicago. Um, <laughs> he's like, I'm going to disco dance for X amount of hours. And they're like, yeah, whatever. And they just lock him in a gymnasium. Right. And then he comes out and he's just got, like, a beard like Robinson Crusoe. And he's like, right. I'm done. It's like, yeah, well, guess what? You missed the you missed the video kill the radio star. I wonder if it was like the disco equivalent of like, remember that radio station that only played Led Zeppelin songs in Florida? This was like 1988 or so. And they changed their format. They were just going to play Led Zeppelin and it was only Led Zeppelin and Led Zeppelin 24 hours a day. Well, it turns out Led Zeppelin has about 13 hours of recorded music altogether, <laughs> including live stuff. So they just kept replaying the same playlist over and over again. And eventually advertisers were like, no, no more. My used car dealership is not going to be on your bloody station that plays Stairway to Heaven six times a day. But I wonder if if, if Mr. Sharples here listened to just every disco song ever recorded from what, like the first recorded use of Boogie in a song that wasn't in the 1940s. All the way through, eventually Donna Summer singing "She Works Hard for the Money," which is de- that was the that was the closing the coffin and putting it in the ground and covering it with dirt and the death putting rattle. a flower on top. That was the death rattle. Like that song was the beginning of the new life for her, right? Yep. The end of disco for real. And I wonder if that's what happened. And he just went through every song and had some poor DJ there, like oh, in our next hour, oh God, kill me. It's <laughs> it's gonna be Casey and the Sunshine Band, and oh. Uh, I want to die. What do you think that guy smelled like? <laughs> so I'm going to guess he smelled like aqua velva. And <laughs> probably. All right. Let's move on to February the 4th, 2004. Facebook, or then known as the Facebook, launches. Yeah. And the world was never the same. No. That's, that's really where social media kind of became a thing became a thing yeah you know it took over it was way simpler than myspace it used a lot more computer algorithms to make it work than myspace did it didn't make you want to rip your eyeballs out and throw them like myspace did it didn't play somebody's annoying song the second you go to their page like MySpace. yeah did. it wasn't yeah. customizable at all and the feature set that it had wasn't determined by the user it was determined by the the server side and and was really easy to use and made it easy to find people and connect and all of a sudden all your personal information is out there in the world and before you know it you're, you're having advertising shipped to you well that's not how it started did you did you ever see the movie the social network i did not it's worth watching it's actually uh pretty good what had happened was zuckerberg was in college there was apparently there was like i'm oversimplifying this but there was like a girl and they were like do you know she's single he's like no i don't so they actually created this like website within the college that people could put in their names 
and uh, you know, kind of like a MySpace kind of a thing, and put their status in whether they're single in a relationship, it's complicated, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It was basically right. just so they could find out if a girl was available before they went and wasted their time on her. That's how it started. It's a terrible waste of time to say, like, pardon me, I think you're very pretty. Do you have a boyfriend? Yeah. That was that took almost a whole one and a half seconds. But rather than do that, yeah. No. He, he right. said, well, I know what I can do. I can use technology. Yep. Here we are 17 years later. Oops. I control the world. <laughs> My bad. Right. I don't generally think of like the these techno- technological sort of captains of industry, for lack of a better description, mm-hmm. very fondly like him, Bezos, the, the guy that runs Google or whatever, until they're sitting in front of a congressional panel who are asking them questions. Mm-hmm. And then I feel ser- I feel terrible for them. I'm like, you're as human as the rest of us because <laughs> they're dealing with people who don't understand their technology. Yeah. They're trying to answer questions that don't make any sense because they don't understand the technology. If How come on my Facebook page, I can't see when my son posts a picture of broccoli? Poor Mark Zuckerberg is like, uh, don't know. Because your son probably posted it just to his own personal page and didn't share it. But I want to see the broccoli picture. It's like... I know. It's, it's like, I was like me trying to like ex- explain to my mom how to... You're like... We had to buy her a microwave. We bought her a microwave oven one time, mm-hmm. and then we had to buy her another microwave oven, one that had a dial, because any microwave yeah. oven that had buttons on it, completely lost on her. Yeah. Well, I can't touch things. I need to turn them. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. I, had a, I had a parent like that, too. Way too cerebral for her, yeah. Yeah. My dad, who thought that if you taped the young ones onto a VHS tape, it would ruin the VCR, <laughs> like the show. Yeah, that's exactly what... That's sort of who they're taking questions from. Because uh, if you or I had traveled back in time to 1802 and were standing outside of the Leopard Emporium and asked the guy, like, is this really a real leopard? <laughs> I have 25 cents. Like, where did the leopard come from? I'm going to take a selfie with a leopard and upload it to my Facebook. Uh, right. And yes. then I'm going to make a political meme about it. And then 50% of my friends are going to hate me. And then 50% right. of my friends are going to put a like on it. And then I'm going to be like, oh, it's my page. I can post what I want. And anybody that's offended, they could just go away. It's like, oh, my God, you're all so boring. You all say the same right. thing. Just shut up. Don't don't forget to use the sepia tone filter on that picture. Otherwise, people won't believe you were there. Oh, right, right. The time travelers. Speaking of time travelers. Mm-hmm, yes. What do you have for February the 5th? February the 5th in 1944, the first comic book hero from Timely Comics, which would become Marvel Comics not too long after that, makes his first appearance in film. And that is Captain America, who appeared in a, in a long-running, well, I guess a long-running serial is any serial with like 13 or 14 half-an-hour uh, segments. But the Captain America serial film premieres starring Dick Purcell as, as Captain America, where he punches Nazis and other criminals and saves the world several times. So that was the first comic book to film adaptation? Not the first comic book to film adaptation. There were a few around this time already. Okay. So there's Captain Marvel, um, the Fawcett comics hero that I love so much with the lightning bolt on his chest. We know it's Shazam, yeah. Shazam, yeah. In his serial, Machine Guns a Bunch of Guys in the Back. Um, <laughs> slightly different slightly different characters than as we know them today. There was also a Batman and Robin serial. There was a... He used his guns in that one, a, too, I believe, right? Yes, he did. There was a Superman serial with Kirk Allen as Superman. Uh, and then there was the like the one-offs, like not the Rocketeer, but the, the Rocket Man uh, Commando Cody. Yep. There were some others as well. But the ones that still have a presence in film today... Of them, the only ones that, that still do are Batman, Superman, Captain America, and Captain Marvel. We have to call him Shazam because Captain Marvel is now a 
Captain Marvel in Marvel MCU. Yeah, it's a, it's a long it's a long story, but yes, he he may be known as Shazam to you, but he'll always be Captain Marvel to me. And out of the MCU, to me, my personal opinion is my page. It's my opinion. So if you don't like it, you can just go somewhere else. Um, the Captain America movies; those are my favorite ones. Yeah, those are definitely of the of the Marvel movies. Those are the ones that I think hold up the best, especially with the Winter Soldier. Yeah. That's a fantastic. Yeah, Winter Soldier is my favorite one, so. right? So Civil War may as well have been an Avengers movie because like everybody's in it, you know? Right. Yeah. Definitely, definitely the best ones of the bunch. And then now, now right. what comic book company did you say that was? Timely Comics. Okay, and that later on, now that was Jack Kirby and Jack Kirby and like Joe. Somebody. Joe Mama. I can't remember. Yeah. The, it was drawn by Jack Kirby, so he's definitely a, a Kirby original. Kirby was a longtime artist for, for Marvel. You you know him from creating the Fantastic Four, Thor, Hulk. Yeah, yeah he was the uh, the artist behind Stan Lee's ideas for the most part. Mm-hmm. So, all right, yeah. So that was Timely Comics. And then Captain America as a character in Marvel Comics uh, was Avengers number four. Four, I believe, in 1964. I actually have um, uh, not the original, but they there was like a reprint, and even the reprint is yeah. is, ver- is valuable. I have one of the reprints downstairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. All right, so moving on to February the sixth. February the sixth. Yep. So local heroes, local local band, uh, the Jay Giles Band, who had been around for a very very long time, but in 1982 they scored their first and only number one song with. Centerfold, or My Angel is the Centerfold. Right, right. Yep. yep. Jay Giles Band were, were humongous because of that record and broke up right after. Yep, right after. Yep. <laughs> right after they became humongous. But it's like it, they sort of almost seem like one-hit wonders, but they've been around since the early 1970s and were a party band in Boston and especially in Detroit. I guess they were known yep. really well and had a couple of songs that sort of just scratched the bottom of the top 40, one at 32 and one at 38. Toured extensively with like Aerosmith and other bands and Love Stinks, I mean, wasn't a big hit, but it was a because of MTV, everybody knew that song. That was one of their first videos, right? Uh, yeah. Well, MTV's first videos in their first batch. Right. I remember the uh the drummer uh Stephen Blad was playing yeah. um was playing drums with, with a fish. fish, yeah, in the alley. Yep. Love Stinks record has my favorite of their later tracks on it that no anchovies please yeah. which i always thought was really funny yep i mean this music is fantastic and by the yes. like you know they were originally known as the jay giles blues band and right. if you go back and listen to like their early stuff there's a live album that i recommend called full house it's mm-hmm. it is it's very blues based but by the time they got to like uh to the album love stakes they started exploring a little more like pop edge and and yep. whatnot and there was a lot more electronic to their stuff. And Peter Wolf, who was a, a, a definite blues dude, you know, he was like, yeah, this is nearly not what I'm going for. So he left the band. Right. And he had a, a solo career that spawned a couple of hits. Yeah, he still tours. He still comes around yep. here. They came out with one more album without Peter Wolf called You're Getting Even While I'm Getting Odd. And that album is bizarre. Although uh, the lead single on it, Concealed Weapons, is cool. It's fun. It's a fun song. Didn't they also do like some of the soundtrack for Fright Night or some, yes, some other movie? Yeah, yep. okay. I remember that yep. briefly. Yeah, Seth yep. Justman, the keyboard player, took over vocal duties. I mean, Peter Wolf was one of those. Fr- he was a hell of a front man. You know, right. not only was he a great singer, but he also ran the show very well. You know, right. I think he was a DJ at one point, too. He had that motor mouth where he could just talk really, really fast in between he, the songs he, and stuff. Yeah. He definitely did have a he did have a lot of rap 
like a not rap like rap music, but like a rap with the audience between between yes. cuts and stuff. From all that I've read is the live shows that they used to do were you know a mix of some of their original stuff and like old blue standards and all kinds of crazy things thrown in here and there and a lot of like energy and yep. and playing around with the crowd. So it must be like I'm gonna guess it's like remember we used to see the Fools. Yes. Right. Like the Fools were like that super talky band. They'd have like a, that two minute something between two songs where they sort of set the last they put the last song to bed. And they set the next song up and they get the audience all excited. And now the Jay Giles band had broken up for a lot of years, and it was one of those like really messy breakups too. Yeah. You know, like not Pink Floyd level, but you know, getting there. <laughs> not like ABBA. You know, <laughs> but um, right. they had gotten back together and did a tour and I got to see their first show back together. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was at that show. It was at uh, the Great Woods. The only person that wasn't there was the drummer, was uh, was Stephen Blatt. He wasn't there. He was replaced by the guy that played drums for Rollins Band, who has one of my favorite stage names of all time, Sid Kane. Yeah. Citizen Kane, Sid Kane. Yep. So yeah, I saw their first show, and then um, Peter Wolf like walked right by me because he like you know it's like it's a party show, so he was walking around the crowd, right. and he's a right. he's tiny, he's a little man. Yeah, I was gonna say he's like four foot eight inches yeah. of blues bland. He is a little blues, little blues boy. Yeah, yeah, he's a little guy. Yeah. All right, moving on. February the seventh. What do you got? February seventh, nineteen seventy four. You can think of the nineteen seventies as this like watershed year in movies. Mm-hmm. It's before PG thirteen, but it's where all of like the directors who defined modern Hollywood as we know it today, sort of started their, started their careers and there was a lot of freedom of, for what films could contain. We talked about this a couple of episodes back. So yeah. when the Hays Code went away and they you know came out with the MPA ratings and all that, um, there was that couple of year period where movies were just crazy. Like the rated R movies like The Exorcist and Death Wish and a bunch of movies all around that same time. They were all like crazy, yep. insane, like violent and graphic. And then, yeah. then you get something like this, like what the movie you're about to talk about, which is <laughs> Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles. Mel Brooks's fourth film. He did The Twelve Chairs and The Producers, my favorite of all comedy movies, mm-hmm. and then Young Frankenstein, and then Blazing Saddles, where he shared some writing duties with Richard Pryor. Yep. Released the, what becomes like the quintessential parody western yep. that defines parody cinema styles sort of from here on. So you can think of this as like, there's this film and there's kind of Airplane and every single comedy is a variation of one of these two movies. Blazing Saddles was incredibly funny and prescient in that it tackled America coming to grips with the end of the civil rights movement and the establishment of the Civil Rights Act, the deaths of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Medgar Evers, and uh, which had happened just nine or ten years before. Yeah. And how American mythmaking and racism are sort of combined. And it presented a film that was, it's still incredibly, incredibly funny. And it's still in incredibly bad taste. I watched this with my kids not long ago. And my kids are pretty socially conscious and socially active. And they kept looking at me as this movie's going on. I'm like, what? What? And they're like, what? I don't know if we should laugh at this. <laughs> like, yeah, you should. But. Well, that's that's like, something about this movie. Like in getting back to Facebook, you'll you'll see this movie in a meme pop up a lot, and people will say for people that get offended by everything, and they'll you know they'll reference this movie. I wish we could go back to the days where we could just you know laugh at stuff like this, and it, it is funny, but I don't think a lot of people get why it's funny. It's not fu- it's not funny because making you know fun of black people because it's not. It's just the opposite. You know, right. Mel Brooks was pointing out 
that Western movies are horrifically racist. So he made a parody of a Western movie and just up the racism, you know, in the jokes to point out the fact that Westerns are freaking ridiculous and racism is freaking ridiculous. And that's sort of the myth America is built on that too, yeah. because the film breaks the fourth wall at the end and, take, and ends up taking place in 1974. But even now, we haven't come to grips with race relations in the United States and Blazing Saddles is all, is all about that. It's still incredibly funny and still worth watching. And again, this is like the, the same people that post that meme, but the same ones that post a picture of Archie Bunker. And it's like, you don't understand that Archie Bunker was the butt of the joke. Right. He was the character that was out of touch. Like, you laughed at him, not with him. Right. That was the point. It's like Blazing Saddles. You laugh at the way that Mel Brooks is able to structure the film. There's, this, there's a great line in, in the film. And a woman comes to the window of the sheriff's office and she says, you know, I just wanted to bring you this pie and thank you for taking care of, of that terrible Mongo. He's a terrible person. And he says, well, thank you very much. And then she says, of course, you'll have the decency not to tell anybody that I spoke with you, right? And he says, of course. And uh, takes the pie and he puts it down. And he's standing there and he looks distraught. Gene, Gene Wilder, who has become his sort of sidekick. So I said, well, what were you thinking he was, they were going to say? These are f- simple farmers. They're the common clay of the New West. You know, morons. <laughs> such a funny line, you know. All right. So let's move on to the celebrity birthdays. Hey, all right. All right. Uh, February the 1st, 1920, Henry Heimlich, inventor of the Heimlich Maneuver. Oh. And that's like when you take a plane and you make a, a barrel roll and then you do an Immelman turn. That's exactly what it and is. Then, and then you do a loop-de-loop. Actually, no. Oh. Let me ask you a question. Okay. Have you ever almost choked to death? I have. I have too. And it's not glamorous. It's not like you see on television. I was in my, I was still living at home. My mom was still alive. And I was in my bedroom and I was eating uh, supper. I had made myself steak with rice. And I guess I cut the piece of steak a little too big, chewed it wrong, didn't chew it enough, whatever, swallowed, and it got lodged in my throat. Right. I took a big gulp of Mountain Dew trying to wash it down and all I did was lodge it further and now I can't breathe. Right. Right. Whenever somebody chokes on television or in the movies or whatever, you know, they just like uh, 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 uh. that is not what choking is like. Choking is like drowning where it's just your body just goes into panic mode. And that's what happened to me. Oh. I'm over there. I'm trying to punch myself in the stomach, like give myself the Heimlich maneuver. And that's not what happened. That doesn't work because your body's just like, oh, you punch me. I'm going to tighten up. And then I threw up, right? Because like I said, you're in panic mode. So I throw up and the, the all, all that happened was like Mountain Dew went flying out of my mouth. But it was like the spray because it got like a thumb on the hose because the steak was blocking it, you know? Yep. And uh, so I go running into the next room when my mom is watching TV. I just threw up again and just sprayed out Mountain Dew, like, you know? And she's like, what the hell is the matter with you? My mom was very, uh, had an awesome bedside manner. So anyway. Um, yes. I go over and I'm, I'm I'm showing you know I'm I'm doing the international gesture for choking sign, sign for choking yeah where yes. yeah, my hands up near my throat so my mother starts <laughs> whacking me on the back exactly in the same manner that they told us never to do in health class because all, right. all all it does is lodge now my body I'm not proud of this moment but it is funny my body being in panic mode sensed that this person behind me was attempting to murder me so I took a swing at my mother I I had like a right hook like right at my mom's face I missed her she's she's cagey that woman right yep so 
<laughs> I gesture with my hands up to my uh, up to my rib cage to you know to give give me the Heimlich maneuver, and my mother says I don't know how to do that, and I said give it a fucking shot. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrap I wrap my mother's arms around me like a you know like a seatbelt kind of a deal, and she just starts kind of like brr, 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 like that. Eddie, it wasn't lodged so deep that I needed the proper Heimlich maneuver. Just her doing that a little bit and. It came flying out, and I threw up again. That was the end of that incident. But, yep, I had my life, my life saved by the Heimlich Maneuver. Happy birthday, Henry Heimlich. Yep. Thank you for developing the Heimlich Maneuver that Bill's mom kind of sort of used maybe yep. to help him when he was choking on steak. <laughs> yeah, yep. my, my, my mom knows the California weave. She got right out of that. All right, next up. Yes. February 2nd, 1949, Brent Spiner, the actor who fans of Star Trek The Next Generation and apparently Picard will know as uh, Lieutenant Commander Data. So the first, Hi. like, fully functional human playing a robot for the whole run of the show. Characters out there, the uh, man with the positronic brain. So happy birthday, Brent Spiner. All right. Uh, February the 3rd, 1970, Warwick Davis, who most people would know as Wicket the Ewok from Return of the Jedi. Or as from the fantasy movie Willow. Yep. Um, i never seen Willow, um, but but oh. I know he's in it. Yep. He's in it. And, he and, and that, he's also, isn't he also the Leprechaun in the Leprechaun movies? I believe he is, yep. yep. That's how they pitch Willow, too. They're like, starring that Ewok you guys like, right? You like them. Chief Chirpa. He's going to be our star. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, February 4th, we get a twofer. 1948, Alice Cooper, Ooh. known birth name Vincent Fernier. Yep. Rocker, who's who's probably best known for School's Out and I'm 18 and a bunch of other stuff, is born in Detroit, Michigan. He is kind of like a golfer that also is in a rock band now. Like, yeah. he's insane. He golfs like as much as three full rounds a day sometimes. Yeah, that's not bad for a guy that he's, he's like in his 70s now. Yeah. So, and he still tours. I saw him a couple years ago opening for Iron Maiden. Yeah. And which, was, he's, which was pretty awesome. He's fantastic. And he's one of those people with a career as long as his is. Find a bad album. There isn't any. Every album. Yeah. Even the, even the later ones, which are like, they're definitely old school. Like, yeah, there's three good signals and two cover songs and four fillers. His worst album is good. Put it that way. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yep. And you said twofer. Who's the other? Friend of the podcast, Emperor Norton. Yes. And... And self-proclaimed emperor of the United States and protector of Mexico. Born in London, England in 1819. So not early enough to see the mythical leopard of Boston, but certainly old enough to to come and declare himself the emperor of the United States and protector of Mexico. Friend of Canada. Oh my God, he wasn't even born in the United States? He was not. He was born in London, England. He's like Rupert Murdoch. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love Emperor Norton. He's one of my favorites. <laughs> Next up, February the 5th, 1943, Nolan Bushnell, which that name just rolls right off the tongue. But, it does. Um, he was the co-founder of Atari, and he yes. invented the video game Pong. So our, uh, our friend, your friend of mine, Nolan Bushnell, effectively invented the video game. And the video game industry to go with it. Yep. And later, the video game and pizza pairing that we all know and love Yep. He, he uh, via Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, he was the founder of Chuck E. Cheese. Hey, where can I get kids who are handling quarters that have been handled by thousands upon thousands of other kids to also eat food that they use their hands to eat? Chuck E. Cheese! Yeah. yeah. No, or also known as Chicken Pox Super Spreader Event Store One One Zero. All right, our pizza tastes like cardboard, and your parents are going to be eating handfuls of Tylenol when they leave. But damn it, it's a fun place to go. Uh, I think they just filed for bankruptcy too recently. 
Yeah, they did. Just much like much like their parent company, Atari. Yes. All right. It was probably for their E. T. themed pizza. <laughs> All right. Next up. February 6, 1962. I guess still current singer of Guns N' Roses in whatever shape or form that band is in. Uh, William Bailey, known to the world as Axl Rose, born in Lafayette, Indiana. Rose to fame real fast. He Right, right about the right time, though. Yep. Right at the time where it was really easy to be super self-destructive, and I don't think he wasn't. <laughs> he just was able to pull himself out of a late 80s death knell of the hair bands, life of excess, Los Angeles, nosedive. There's a, a theme, I guess we could follow, where some people just aren't meant to be famous. Yeah. You'll get somebody like like Bruce Willis, uh, you know, think of you know uh, superstars, you know, any right. any one of the Beatles, for an example. Even the dead one, Paul yeah, McCartney. Yeah, even the dead For son, career yeah, long-lasting yeah. after his yeah, car yeah. accident that killed him in the 60s. Right. And then there's people like Axl Rose and unfortunately Kurt Cobain and uh, Britney Spears is another one too. They just weren't built to be famous. They all kind of, <laughs> Britney Spears. Britney Spears, I think, was built to be famous. It's just that her programming is scrambled. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's uh, the, that's the but problem. no, but <laughs> that's the but they all kind of like and Elvis Presley is, a, is another example. I mean, they all just kind of like like sparked out in their own little different way. I mean, we all know what happened with Kurt right. Cobain, Axl right. Rose. He just kind of like alienated everybody in his band, yeah. ran off on his own for a long time. Produced was ultimately a three-star out of five-star record called Chinese Democracy under the Guns N' Roses name right. that no one listens to and never has any songs played on the radio and doesn't get played or mentioned, I think, when they play live it's now. It's actually not even um, that bad. <laughs> no, like I said, three out of five yeah. stars. It's uh, I, I bought it when it came out, and I was like, yeah, it sounds like the lesser tracks on Use Your Illusion 2. Yeah. You know, it, was, uh, it, lacks, it lacks Slash, but it picks up a bucket head, right. and it's okay. Yeah. 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 You know, now he's sort of, he tours around like, it's like almost, it's, it's, it's like one level above, but almost like, like the, come see, journey, the surviving members of Foghat, a guy from Triumph and Saga playing one song each today at the county fair. And the thing too with, with Axl Rose, like people are like, oh, you see him, he's fat now. It's like, well, what do you want? The guy's like almost yeah, the, 60 <laughs> years old now. You, you want right. him to like be right. out there. You don't want him to be out there in the bicycle shorts now, do you? Jesus. Or hanging out there in like a, his belly hanging over a kilt. Yeah. Like, dude, <laughs> you know, like just sing. Like he's still, he's still got a good voice. And when the Appetite for Destruction first came out, I remember interviews where like he had gone to voice coaches and he said like, oh, the voice coach just threw me out after two days because I wouldn't do what they told mm -hmm. me. And they told me, oh, your voice is going to be fried in a year. Like, you know, 30 years later, and he's still out there singing Sweet Child oh, of Mine I mean, and Welcome to the Jungle. To be, and, to be fair, he does take, you know, know, 12 to 13 year breaks in between concerts. <laughs> yeah, he needs to recoup. Yeah. I mean, the dude's not a young guy. And uh, wrapping it up on February the 7th, 1804, John Deere, founder of the John Deere lawnmowers and tractors and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All the green and yellow oh. lawn equipment that you see. Founded by that man whose birthday happens to be today. Oh, that's cool. And and he didn't invent it. He just he started to just sell things under his own name, right? I don't think he invented like the no, lawn tractor no, no. in no. in eighteen oh four. Only two years after he could go see a live leopard for the first time in Boston. Uh, so uh, inspired by a well spent right. twenty five cents. He said if people will spend twenty five cents on a leopard, imagine what they'll spend they, on qua they'll spend on quality lawnmowers. 
that have not even been invented yeah. yet. It's amazing. You, you know, so one time he was probably out there just paint, paint, painting a plow like green and yellow. Like I, I got the thing. It's green and yellow. This is what's going to do it. Now there was a song you know? called "Don't Put Another Dime in the Jukebox." But if you put twenty-five cents into a jukebox, do you know what you get? Uh, I think I do. The worst song ever. All right, young Jeff, what is our contender this week for the worst song ever? All right, our contender is it's our contender this week is a cover song. And it's and it's not that it's a bad song. Okay. Musically. It's a problematic song thematically. Okay. Now, as society ages and social mores change, songs that were popular sometimes only 20 or 30 years ago now sound like things that no one in their right mind would sing without expectation that the police would show up at their house and take them away. Such is the case of this wonderful song by Johnny Burnett called You're 16. Uh, yeah. But you probably don't know that it's by Johnny Burnett because we all know this song being sung by Ringo Starr. Oh, So this was the number one song in America this week in 1974. Now, here's yes. the problem. The lyri- the <laughs> lyrics are problematic. They say, you're yes, 16, you're beautiful, and you're mine. Now, yes. If I, the guy that originally sang it there. Johnny Burnett. So, yep. so Johnny Burnett, if Johnny Burnett was like, you know, typical teen idol, he's 18, he's 19 years old. Right. That's fine. It's considerably less of a problem yeah, than if you're like. Ringo Starr. Who's 33, 33 years old at the time of this yes. release? Let's play yes. that. Let's play that clip. Okay, Ringo, you freaking creep you peace and love creep so and then a couple of years later he had like some tv variety show kind of especially they actually filmed like a video for this song oh, good god yes. and uh and carrie fisher who was like 17 or 18 whenever they filmed the video and ringo Starr would have been like 36 you oh my god <laughs> yeah it was yes. like seven it was like 78 because it was right around so, the time of so, Star Wars. yeah so it's so so it's creepy it's creepy when old men covered songs that were clearly meant to be sung by teeny boppers sure for teeny boppers right yeah this isn't the only time that this happened and admittedly the other examples we have are, are all from the 1970s big surprise there yeah uh su- such as uh erstwhile favorites of bill and i kiss yep who not doing a cover song at all no 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 <laughs> released christine 16 which right. is and Gene Simmons is only nine years younger than Ringo Starr. <laughs> okay, so in 1978, Ringo Starr was 36, just for round numbers. So Gene Simmons would have right. been like 20, 25, 25, and 20, that midsection yeah. of Christine uh, 16, <laughs> it's like a spoken thing, and it's Gene Simmons <laughs> in his in his utmost creepiest. He's like. I knew when I saw you coming out of school that day. It's like, yeah. come on, Gene. <laughs> 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 yes. Um. Yeah, and they continued to play that song live well into their career. It's like at some point somebody must have said, to, I don't know, maybe when he finally had kids, you know, it's like, hey, Gene, how about beep, beep, beep? You reel that truck back up a little bit, okay? <laughs> well, at, at least they didn't like try and like do a more modern version of it and update it for the times. It's like, Christine. 27 and a half. <laughs> uh, 
and sort of make it like more socially acceptable. Christine 60. Christine 60. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like when Alice Cooper puts out his I'm 80. (laughs) 80. And I want to watch Matlock. (laughs) All right. Christine. (laughs) 73. So, uh, yeah, this is a a, a pretty touchy subject. So let's get off of it. Um, Okay. Let's get back to the trivia question. I believe. Jeff wants to have sex with. I believe I asked you, which planet do you most want to have sex with? That's uh, right. And no, I, and no. the and question was, the question was, which planet is the hottest? And logically, you would think it would be Mercury, but it's it's not Mercury. Mercury's very close to the sun, but it has no atmosphere. Right. So the hottest so. planet and also uh, just by virtue, you can have sex with it um, is Venus. See that? It will be very climactic, but for a very short time. Uh, yeah, because it does yes. have quite a climate over there. Uh, the yeah, lots- Venus, which destroys destroys uh, Venus space probes like minutes after they land on the surface. Yep. Uh, Venus is uh, it's got a lot of clouds. It's basically got what we've uh, the environmentalists have been warning us about. It's got a right. greenhouse uh, gas effect going like completely wild. So its average temperature is like eight hundred and seventy degrees uh, yeah, Fahrenheit. Funny. Yeah, that's a uh, that's something. Take it off my shirt right now, Venus. I'm coming yep. for you. And Mercury is only like 70 degrees cooler, but Venus still right. wins. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's radiant heat versus atmospheric heat, I guess. And Venus is the hell of the solar system, as you hear it described. Oddly um, enough, in the, oh, I forget which book of the Bible it is, uh, but they refer to the planet Venus as Lucifer the Lightbringer because it is the bright morning star. So uh, before they even knew what the temperature of that planet was, they knew... That's uh, the, it was hot. That's yeah. They knew it was hot somehow. Very yep. very hot. Yep. But that is going to wrap up the show for this week. Uh, have a great week, everyone. We will see you next week. Say good night, Jeff. Right. Good night, Jeff. Bye. Bye, Bye, guys. Special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibbly. This week was way better last year. You can follow and or message us over on Instagram or on Facebook at T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you tell your friends if you like our show. And if you don't like our show, tell your friends you did like it. It'll be a great prank you can play on them. Have a good week, guys.